God bless you all. Pastor Stephen. Be back. Sure is. Thank you, Julia, for leading worship and Philip doing family notes. It's already been a great morning, hasn't it? I do want to kind of hold off on my Kurdistan comments till uh, I got a piece kind of worked in the message here, uh, just to, to share on that for a few minutes. Um, but I'm um, a couple things just to keep you aware. Uh, there's uh, this unceasing prayer movement. It's not just Shelby County thing. It's happening in different pockets around the country. Uh, and one of the first, there was two that started on the same day, uh, subsequent of each other, had no idea, uh, in, in uh, Bellingham, Washington, and Austin, Texas. And that pastor in Austin, Texas, joined up with a, a fellow pastor, and they have over a, around 100 churches in Austin that now for about 12 years have been networked and praying, praying for their region. They've seen remarkable changes in the, in the movement of the kingdom of God and the movement of the Spirit in that region. And he is in town at Steve Pearson's church this weekend, Church of the Savior in Nicholasville, and myself and one or two others are going to go there tonight for the conference and tomorrow morning. So uh, this, this ministry of intercession, networking with other churches and praying for your region is something God is doing throughout the earth, and I want to encourage you to stay faithful to that tomorrow. And if you want to join us tonight or tomorrow morning, let me know, and we'll be glad to carpool together. Um, also, uh, just to give you a, a little bit more details and understanding about the rite of passage, it's actually four sessions of a seminar called Men of Honor, Women of Virtue, with the fourth session being the rite of passage ceremony. And the, and the ceremony, which will be the fourth session on May 1st, Sunday morning, May 1st, we'll all be here, is a fun, enjoyable, uplifting for the whole church family. And this is a whole church family event uh, for these sessions. The first, April 24th, we'll start with the teaching here, have a covered dish dinner on the 24th. Everybody, please participate, bring food. We'll have, as we sit down, have another teaching in there as part of the, uh, uh, the seminar and preparing us for the rite of passage ceremony. And that will be a great just, uh, family time together as a spiritual family. Then that Wednesday on uh, the 27th, parents and students will be together that evening with, the, with uh, uh, a short dinner and a teaching together. And, uh, so, uh, and then the May 1st is a ceremony. But I just want to ask you, do you know when you were recognized as a young man or young woman in your family? How about as an adult in your church growing up? How about in America, in this society, when do you, are you considered a, an adult? How should young people look at themselves? They can get a driver's license at 16. That's a, that's a big weight of responsibility. You graduate around 18 and have usually at that age, but then you might still not have enough training uh, to get a full-time job, so you got to go to trade school or some other school or college for another four years, and you still might, and, and you, can, uh, you can't get a, um, uh, you can go to war at 18, but you can't buy alcohol till you're 21, and you can't rent a vehicle till you're, what is that? It's like way up there. 25? <laughs> yeah. So what age is it when you're considered an adult? 
And that's one of the aspects, not the only one, but one of the aspects, we want to get that confusion out and say, hey, you can step into adulthood as a young man or woman in that these years where you're, you're, you've changed, God has changed you, you look like an adult, God gives you the grace to step into maturity as a young man or woman. Let's not hold this thing off, you know, till you're 20, 22, or 25. Let's not hold this thing off. What's going to happen if you just wait? Well, you get attacked with confusion and bad habits and, and, uh, and so forth. So that's one of the aspects, and I'll be let, you know, sharing more about this as we go on to give you why do we have this, and it's very valuable for our young people, our families, and our church families. Today, this message that I'm going to get into, it's entitled Mountain Moving Faith. I believe it's going to be <clears throat> challenging for many of us. But more importantly, it's going to give you hope and encouragement about your future. Because many of us right now, or probably soon, or sooner than later, will have a mountain that's in your way. That looks impossible to get around, to cross. This mountain looks like, oh my goodness, this I, I am done, I am ruined in this area of my life, this relationship, this spiritual area. Whatever's going on, I, I am, I'm, I'm just so discouraged, I don't know what to do. And in this chapter, Matthew 17, and I'm not going to go like verse by verse or cover every passage in chapter 17, but there's two different mountains. We can count at least two. One is the Mount of Transfiguration, where early in this chapter, Jesus takes his three. You know, he did discipleship of the twelve, but he also did discipleship of the three. When they took them away and got focused even more so with John, James, uh, Peter, John, and James. And they were up on a Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus turns into uh, this glowing being and, and, they, and he sees uh, 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 Moses and Elijah standing with them and they freak out and it's, it's a great story. I, wanna, I don't want to get into it right now. But that was a mountain of glory, a mountain of uh, just building them up. And then they come down the mountain and they encounter a different kind of mountain. And that's the passage that we're going to study and look at today. And it's a mountain that was in the way. It looked impossible to move, and it brought great despair and hopelessness to this family. Let us pray before we start reading uh, in Matthew 17. Lord Jesus, we do ask that your word transforms us, that you open our eyes uh, and give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to start reading at verse 14. It says, When they, and that was Jesus and these three friends, had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, on my son. Excuse me, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. And, is, and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So we have a different kind of mountain. A mountain in this family where they are hopeless and despair, and this father is trying to find someone that can help his son. Perhaps uh, they've been to doctors, perhaps they have many rabbis pray, perhaps they've uh, you know, years been dealing with this, and Jesus calls it a mountain. Jesus uh, responds very bluntly and directly to his disciples and what they come down off of the glory mountain, and now into, here we are, real life, what are we going to do now with this other mountain that stands in the way? And uh, the disciples and this, you know, have, have tried praying for him, and they have been ministering already. Jesus has sent the disciples out in twos, if you remember, and they have been ministering in the name of Jesus and seeing miracles and seeing demons being delivered out of people. But here it, it didn't work. It didn't happen. It didn't get better. And Jesus, in verse 17, he says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long should I be with you? How long should I bear you with you? Bring him here to me. Oh, I wish Jesus had done more uh, of the soft touch of giving the, uh, the hamburger, uh, you know, way of being confronting somebody, right? You start with the soft uh, bun at first and encourage them. Hey, you know, your disciples, you've been doing, learning a lot. And, boy, you've been up late with all this praying going on. You're probably tired or something. And, oh, but here, let me be honest with you. You're a faithless and perverse generation. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, you know, you, we're, we're, I'm not going to be with you forever. you got to get this thing in. But don't worry, I'll put the soft bun on the bottom. It's going to all turn out all right. No, Jesus just said it. He just went to the meat, right? And he just said it. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we a part of this? Is this something even about our uh, uh, times that we pray, we bump up against a mountain? Really part of my preparation of this message was what Philip brought up this morning. We can get angry with God and say, God, what's wrong with you? Why haven't you delivered me from this mountain? And really he's saying, uh, you actually need to ask that question about yourself. Why haven't I received the deliverance from this mountain that, that I believe it's God's will, God wants me to receive this. What's going on with me, Lord, and what's going on around me that could be blocking it? And so we're going to look at that today. But also, verse 20, he says another Area, another thing to be aware of, verse 20, So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so he says either 
translated as little faith or unbelief, that that's also an area that can block it. So just to summarize, two areas of blocking you and me from removing the mountains before us is number one, faithlessness and perverseness, and number two is unbelief or little faith. I want to say that the Pentecostal and the movement, the charismatic movement, and a piece of that charismatic movement, the faith movement, has really taught the world how to pray. And there is a there, there was a relinquishment in the church world as a whole that just said, well, you just pray, God, your will be done. And you end it there. That is a good prayer. That's a biblical prayer. That's one of the pray prayers from the Bible. <clears throat> but what these movements taught us is that God wants us to participate with Him and, and pray more specific prayers and pray according to His Word, pray according to His will, and pray, Lord, not only Your will be done, but here in this situation, I believe it's Your will, and then stand in faith that Something actually does change and happen, not just whatever your will is, God. We accept it, even though that's a good prayer, too, when we need to surrender ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. And so there's been just a lot of teaching that the world, church world needed. At the same time, the faith movement, which is kind of part of those larger movements, has, has stayed so uh, tight in their teaching that they're not necessarily teaching us the whole Word of God. So when we do deal with suffering, when we do deal with letdown, there's often not the teaching from God's Word and how to move on in maturity there. I think even in this situation here, um, uh, we want to be careful about a couple of things when you read this passage. One is, is that, uh, is this saying that any person that has epilepsy and seizures... Do they have a demon? And I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that all seizures are caused centrally by a demon that needs to be exposed. Even though, obviously, yes, that can be the core of it, as with this uh, Scripture passage here. Also, another thing we want to be careful is, is that, hey, so if I just speak to the mountain and I say to the mountain, uh, move from here to there, then it will happen and nothing will be impossible for me that it's just in what I say. And one thing about the faith movement, it helped teach us, well, what do you say when you pray? And it, and it helped teach us on how to pray and what to say. At the same time, we don't want to get so formulaic that, okay, if I say these ten words and and say in Jesus' name real hard at the end, then I've said everything right. God, why is it? It's not a magical formula. Prayer is not a magical formula. And we can't just get certain words right. Faith comes from the heart. And we want to pray according to His will. And so, though we need to learn how to pray, we don't want to fall into a trap which says, oh good, this is just simple. You just say these words and then, and then abracadabra, it's done, thank you. Well, no, God is bigger than that and His purposes are deeper than that. And we are surrendered to Him, so when things don't go our way, it's not, oh well, God, if, if it's not going my way, I'm out. 
If it's not working, and I, it said speak to the mountain, and it didn't work, well then I'm done. Okay, that just shows the level of maturity where you're at. That your loyalty to Jesus wasn't, Lord Jesus, I give you my whole life. No, I give you uh, just to, so that you'll bless me, and that's it. No, I give you my whole life through suffering and pain, through the blessings. And yes, there are blessings, and there are attacks as a believer, and there's blessings. There's more blessings than attacks. I mean, hey, you become a Christian, we don't want to promise someone, hey, life is going to be so easy from this day forward, you'll never have another problem. But now your sin won't be the problem. (laughs) And the source of many other problems is because your sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And so life with Christ is so much better. So I want to take some time in a moment to talk about the mustard seed that Jesus brings up here. We want to talk about uh, this whole phrase of prayer and fasting. We want to get into that. But I'd like to jump into a few words about mountains. I saw a bunch of mountains last week in Kurdistan. And if you look at this nation, and even where the uh, Kurdish people live in the neighboring nations of uh, Iran and uh, uh, Turkey and Syria, it's the mountain ranges. Every day we, you could step out your door or driving down the car, there was a mountain range to look at. Go ahead and put a couple of those out there. In this one city, uh, Rowan Deuce, these first two pictures here make up a, a, a um, what do you call it, a um, ravines around the city. There's three ravines around the city. I mean, we're talking like cliffs and a little creek at the bottom, and it's so rugged, there's no vehicle, not, no person that could cross these three ravines. There's only one way up to the city. Up a curvy road like this. And that's one reason there's been so many civilizations that have lived and and inhabitants have lived in that city because it was one you could protect from attack of the enemy and they would put uh, special royal people there to protect them on that city when the battles were raging. There's such a... There's several ways that the Kurdish people remind me of uh, the Jews. I've been to Israel several times, and uh, this uh, Kurdistan is the only other um, time I've been in the Middle East. The only time I've been to another nation in the Middle East. And Kurdistan is actually not a nation itself; it's a nation of people, but it's a state within the nation of Iraq. But they're surrounded by their enemies. And the Jews live like that. They, they always have to be ready for, as they are right now, and, and their prime minister said, okay, all you licensed gunmen, all you former military, they kind of stay in the military their whole life. They keep their guns, and they can be ready for battle at that moment in day's notice. And they're like that as well, because you never, as they had their own, uh, in their own nation, uh, the Saddam Hussein regime, that came from the south, that they battled that. They've had ISIS in the more recent years come from Iran and Syria, and now even the Turks have invaded them just in the last three years. 
And so they have this phrase, we have no friends but the mountains. And FAI, Frontier Alliance International, is an organization that says, we want to change that. We want you to have better friends than just the mountains. So there, and and as I learned the culture, we got to meet Kurdish people and those that even partner with FAI. I found some of the barriers, those mountains that are keeping them from stepping into the kingdom of God. It was unusual to be an unreached people group where you didn't see churches uh, hardly ever for the whole week. You didn't meet uh, believing Christians. Uh, One story was uh, soon after they moved in a certain uh, city as an organization, they had heard that there were eight believers that were meeting secretly. These Most of the Kurdish people are Muslims, either nominal and just do basic things or very uh, uh, committed and, and religious. And these were eight that had come out of, of, of a religious kind of context and they were meeting secretly and they asked, can we meet with you and encourage you in discipleship? They met with them once the next week over the mosque loudspeaker when they do the prayers and the preaching. They mention all of those name, eight names and shame them and reject them and those eight people had to move out and leave for protection and go into hiding. And another barrier, not only the religious resistance from Islam, but their identity. They're a tribal people, and I hadn't experienced that before, but I saw it as we got to know one of the families. Great family, hospital, the whole place. I gained weight. I gained at least four pounds. I was checking the scale. Have you ever seen, you know kebabs and all the grilling they do and all the rice and vegetables. and then they, I, I've seen plates stacked three high because the table wasn't big enough. That's what I'm talking about. No, no uh, it wasn't suffering for Jesus in the diet, I can tell you that. But there's such a, a tribal loyalty. If you become an evangelical Christian, give it like you're leaving the family, well, then you're not in the family anymore. You're not being uh, true to the patriarch and the, and the traditions of that family and the history of that family. You're leaving, and they will leave you. And that's, I've, I've, I've heard that in stories and know that stories from Jewish people. Joel and Carol ministering to a, a young man, Orthodox Jew, that wanted to be a Christian, but he said, I, I need to get, I have a way to get out of town and get a job and have provision because when I do, I'm going to be rejected from my family. I won't have... In my community, I won't be able to work. I won't be able to, I'll be all alone. Who's going to help me? And they have those similar type stories in Kurdistan. So join with me because God can remove those mountains in Kurdistan. And let's pray for them right now. Lord Jesus, there are many mountains in Kurdistan, but Lord, none are greater than you and your name. And we thank you that you have a plan for that people, a great kingdom work. And so, Lord, we pray in agreement with your will that these mountains are going to come down and the scales will come off their eyes. And, Lord, you're going to do a great revival of bringing many to, to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you'll provide for all they need. If they're rejected from their family or not, Lord, you're their provider 
for them and you sustain them and give them grace and give them great victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus mentions in verse 20 that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say then to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Well, let's look at what he said earlier about a mustard seed. In the same gospel, uh, Matthew 13, feel free to turn there. Starting at verse 31, this chapter 13 is a chapter of parables. Several of the parables in that chapter are about, uh, uh, you know, wheat and grain and the agriculture. That's In that chapter, it starts off with the parable of the sower, the sower Jesus sowing the word, or the parable of the soils, the four kinds of soils, and we can identify with either one of those four soils, either a good soil, which God has, when we become a new creature in Christ Jesus, we're good soil, but we can let uh, things to crowd into that, uh, into that soil. We can have shallow soil and let uh, suffering and circumstances come and, and, and take us out. We can just ignore that word and it get, land on a hard heart or, and, 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 and steal that seed. But the mustard seed... And Tony Evans was one of the Bible teachers I looked on this message. And he said this. Well, let's read verse 31 and 32. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the, th- all the seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So, in this parable, it's true that there's an emphasis on the size of the seed. That Do you realize that even with a really small little seed, it can be transformed and, and be a large bush, even a tree, and hold birds and take care of, of many needs of other people? So, even if you have little faith, a small faith, you just got to use it, you got to... What and, he, and this is what Tony Evans went into. You've got to take that seed and you've got to plant it in good soil. Then you've got to water it. And then something must happen to where the inner life that's in the inside of that shell, that seed, has got to come out. So the shell on the outside of that seed has got to break. It's got to die. That condition of that seed has got to break and die before life can be released out of the inside of that seed. So yes, even be encouraged. It's not the amount of, uh, of faith you have. Just use the faith that you have, no matter how small. But that first step is letting it die. Giving up on your own efforts. Giving up on your own strength. You've tried this, you've asked for, for prayer here, you asked for this, and we've tried everything we could think of, and finally we come, in a sense, to the Lord and broken and say, Lord, I can't do it, you have to do this. And there's a surrender to Him to say, I've got to let the life of God, the Holy Spirit, come out of me and do its work. Jesus, in John chapter 12, describes this process, it's so important, it's basic Christianity. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it, uh, will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the message of the passion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is this, this is the whole principle. Even Jesus submitted himself to this process of death first and then life next. And that's what is the question, Lord Jesus, what's wrong with me and my mustard seed? Is it the soil that I've planted it in? Am I watering it? Am I dying to myself and letting the Holy Spirit, Jesus, inside of me come out and reign in this situation? Am I dependent on my own strength? He who loves his life loses it, but he who hates his life and lets it die in this world will keep it to eternal life. So the principle is true, and it's here. For anything to grow, it must die first. Then new life can grow within by the Spirit of God. John chapter 4 gives us a story of, of a big mountain in a woman's life. And the turnaround where this, these mountains came down. And it's the woman at the well and, and the Samaritan woman at, where she was already in the outcast of the Samaritan people and Jesus actually spent time with her at the well talking to her. But her life was just surrounded with various obstacles, strongholds, bondages, with no hope left. She was by herself, not even with the other community of women. She came to the well, and she had already had five husbands, and just a life of despair and hopelessness and total rejection in her community. And as they're talking about what kind of water is this at the well, and Jesus turns it into, ah, there's a different kind of water the water of the Holy Spirit that's from me. He's, he describes it this way. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And she, when she received that truth, she suddenly became the most influential person in her whole community for Jesus Christ. For the kingdom. And she ran back to her hometown and she told them all that I have found the one, the Messiah. And this, this is living water that, that God gives for us. It's, it's not just, He is deeper than just water to drink, which you get thirsty from. No, He gives water that you never thirst again. And that shame and guilt, rejection, the sin in her life, the uh, rejection from the community, all of it restored in a moment. That is the redeeming, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that if there is a mountain in your way, it is not God's will 
for you to be in bondage long term or forever. That keep pursuing and knocking on that door. Don't give up. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it just flatly says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so, His will is for us to be free in our spirit, soul, and body. And yet I know that we go through tough and times of suffering and difficulty and pain. And in our seeking God, He works deeper in those areas. See, when you look at the boy having seizures, it looks like a physical area. And Jesus said, no, this is something deeper. And so that's why keeping seeking God, even even though there's a mountain there and it's a recurring issue, when we keep seeking Him, He takes us deeper to the roots. And even some physical things that, uh, in, like in this example, that look just physical, can have spiritual roots to it. And as you keep seeking God, He takes you deeper, and He takes you deeper to another level. And then you have a chance, unless you give up seeking. But as you seek, you have, God will reveal other things that He wants to set free. I want to go to Mark chapter 9, because in there is this same story. Uh, In Mark's account, there's some details that he brings out that are not there otherwise. And I want us to see these details, because we are looking at, yes, the Lord, what's blocking us, and one of those things that's blocking us is unbelief. Mark 9, verse 21 through 25. It says, And he, Jesus, asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So this father is so hopeless. He's just saying... If you can do anything, even a little bit, just help us a little bit so it doesn't happen so often or it's not doesn't happen around the fires. Just if, if you can do anything, please help us. I am I didn't see this until studying it this week. Listen to what Jesus says. Next verse, verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. He's saying, are, are you saying to me, if I, if I can do anything, you, is that what you're saying? If I can, if, if I, if Jesus can do anything, is that what you're saying? He repeated the phrase of this hopeless father. He said, even if you can help me a little bit. He says, if I can help you a little bit. He says, all things are possible to him who believes. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. So here's an honest man. He's inspired by the words of Jesus, right? The words of life come out of his mouth and says all things are possible to him believes. And he goes, well, then I believe, but, but Lord, I've been struggling. This has been since he's a boy. It's been many years. Help my unbelief. 
So yes, the mustard seed, it doesn't have to be a lot of faith. Just use the faith that you have. So many times we get discouraged and, and we have anxiety just beating us over the head. And we go to anxiety first when, an, when a mountain comes up, a circumstance comes up, something bad, and we go into anxiety and fear. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. Even if it's a little faith, surrender it to me. Let me be Lord of your life in this area. Don't try to work this out in your strength. Trust me. Let this mustard seed die and let it start growing. And even, even this little mustard seed, let it start growing. Even if it's small, don't despise small beginnings. Let your faith start growing. So this father, he, he suddenly does, his faith is starting to grow. And he's just honest, help my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You're deaf, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And it was amazing, this, this boy ended up shaking and seizing some more and foaming at the mouth, and then he just phew, went limp. He just went, they thought he was dead. But Jesus went over to him and grabbed his hand and he stood up was set free from that mountain. And then Jesus gives some hope as far as what can we do if we're going to be working on this mustard seed and the soil and the good soil, what, what do we do? Well, verse 17, 21, it said, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so what's happening here, and I want to close in a few minutes uh, but I want to go ahead and, and read a couple more scriptures and give you a little bit more instruction on what to do if you find yourself in this very discouraging situation. You feel trapped. There's so many obstacles around. That prayer and fasting do uh, a combination of things together that I want... I, I, this is where the challenge is that some of you are going to say, that's what I haven't followed the Lord in yet. I haven't... Maybe this is a piece of the puzzle, the key that I'm looking for. Because there's freedom from this obstacle will come when, number one, when you have connection with God and prayer will open that door for that. Number two, and disconnection from the flesh, your flesh and the world. And that's fasting. And so these, these are keys for us, Jesus is saying, hey, uh, you need to work on your faith, uh, faithlessness, your, your um, uh, perverseness. That's what this generation is. This generation is unbelief. And he says prayer and fasting, which is going to help our connection with God and disconnection with the flesh and the world. Because the flesh and the, uh, your flesh is where when the devil tempts you and, it's, and it pulls on you, that's your flesh. That's uh, trying to connect to your old lifestyle. When you are being influenced by the ways of the world, which has Satan over it, guiding the ways of the world, and you're being pulled by the ways of the world, then that's another way for you to cut off Satan. Both of these ways cut off the power of Satan's temptation when you fast and you break off where Satan is tempting you and pulling you either in the flesh or the world. 
Fasting will help you fulfill Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. Prayer and fasting together. That in reference to your former life, this is verse 22, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of, the, of, of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So prayer and fasting will help you discern, okay, what, is this just a physical thing? Uh, no, it's deeper than that. It's, it's a spiritual thing. Is this the devil? It could be. Go ahead and do, uh, take authority over the devil. Is this uh, something that, that it, is, uh, I need to get out of my life? I need to, it's trying to creep back from my old life. I need to separate myself from that. It's trying to creep back in. And, so you, this is going to help you discern when you take a season or develop a path of prayer and fasting. You might develop it a certain day or meal once a week, and you're hitting this hard in that day or meal of prayer and fasting. It could be three days together where you develop a type of separating yourself in prayer, develop a fasting routine for several days. It could be food, which is the most common biblical one. But you might know what the world or the flesh is tugging on you, and it might be, uh, it might be Hulu, it might be uh, Netflix, it might be something else that's bringing in an influence on you and tugging on you, and you, God wants to go deeper in that fasting of that thing, even though it may not be evil in itself, but it's bringing a pathway of the de- uh, demonic temptation and pull on you, then that fasting is going to break it. So, I think the disciples were dealing with perverseness, faithlessness, and unbelief. They had already been ministering to people before. They had healed people. They had... Uh, cured people in the name of Jesus. They had been sent out with the authority of Christ and delivered people from demons and it wasn't working this time. So perhaps uh, over those number of months, they were still relying on an old, uh, uh, whatever they established several months ago, of receiving that connection with God in prayer and in His Word and talking about being recharged this morning. That they were recharged several months ago and they were ministering out of that freshness of the recharging. But now they need a, they need a break. They need to sit and be purposeful, intentional. They need to have some fasting and prayer set aside to knock at this mountain and then speak to this mountain. And God may reveal something. Well, that's, not, that's the wrong mountain, actually. It's this mountain over here that I'm trying to get you to look at. And dealing with this first either makes this one just melt away, it's like not even a problem anymore, or then that empowers you to go to the other mountain. Because they said, we, they, they couldn't do it, and they've tried, and they tried, and they couldn't do it. So they were surprised. They're like, Come, you know, why couldn't we make, why couldn't we work with this? Why couldn't we bring your power in this situation? And Jesus is telling them that prayer and fasting will prepare them it will do a deeper work it'll take the physical and take it into spiritual roots and you'll discover and discern what to do let's look at this last passage james 4 6 through 10 verses 6 through 10 
said, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Thank you, God, for that promise right there. That when we submit ourselves to you, we humble ourselves, and then we resist the devil, Lord. There's fruit, there's results there. Thank you, Lord. Verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. He will exalt you. Folks, some of you have been saying, Oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting really, I'm starting to get mad at God uh, because I've been trying this and trying that. And God says, He just wants you to let the mustard seed die and let the life of God come out. And a process of prayer and fasting may hold the key to something you haven't seen, something you haven't done. A cleansing from the perverseness, a cleansing from the, the discouragement, a, a rejuvenation of God's recharging His life into you through prayer and the Word and fasting. And yes, you know, one day, two, three days, those are great, but it might be something that you do you know, on some kind of pattern over a number of months. You follow the Lord in this, and the Lord's going to give you a, a and teach you. And that's what I believe mature believers do. When they run to that mountain, they don't quit. They say, God, what is next? What is new? What is different? That Take me somewhere in a deeper place, a more mature place with you in this journey. And He will. And as you humble yourself like that, in the presence of the Lord, He will exalt you. Lord, thank You that this week is a week where we can walk in new freedom. That, Lord, You've given us instructions on what to do about this mountain. Lord, You've given us hope, oh God. And, Lord, through fasting and prayer, Lord, we can connect with You. We can recharge with You. And we can disconnect from the flesh and the world where the temptations come and they pull and they tug. Lord Jesus, You give us freedom and we thank You for that. Hallelujah. We're not stuck. We're not in a hopeless situation. And so, Father, we receive Your blessing. The ironic blessing. The Lord bless You and keep You. The Lord make His face shine upon You and be gracious to You. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you shalom. Everything as it really ought to be. Nothing missing, nothing broken. May you put your full weight down and rest in the hammock of His smile of approval of you. For in Christ you are approved. And may you, wait, may you walk underneath the warmth of His presence and hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. And Lord, perhaps it'll be blessing someone we bring to church in the next few weeks or for Resurrection Sunday. Or maybe it is, maybe it's someone else just in our neighborhood or at work where we pray for them. I know I was praying for a guy at the car wash this week and he was a young man. He said, you know, with all this going on with the war and everything, maybe Jesus is coming back soon. 
And that kind of scares me. And I said, yeah, that's right. He could come back any time. It's good to get right with God now. Lord, we pray for that young man and his girlfriend, Lord Jesus. You know where they're at. You know how to open up their eyes, how to speak to them in the night and day. Lord, those others that we have in our neighbors that we've been planting seeds, God, we pray for them. We pray their hearts would receive the seed. They would ponder it, Lord God, that they would meditate on it, Lord. Father, we pray that those seeds get planted and grow and bear fruit, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us into this week. We go into this week, Lord God, with your blessing and your confidence, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus.